your Bible with me to the book of Romans. We're going to get back into our series here in Romans chapter 8. And uh, we're going to be in um, verses 17 through 27 here this morning. It's our series called Made Right, because that's really what this is all about, is how God makes us right with himself. Uh, this morning, I titled the message, What's All the Groaning About? Do we have any people that are groaners here that you, you would admit right away you're a groaner? Yeah, there's a lot of you. And if you're not, you probably just don't know it. And other people could tell you that you are. Um, how many of you have ever heard a joke that's called a groaner? Why do you call a joke a groaner? Because it's terrible. Would it be like these? I have a few that I want to share with you. Um, I was on the boat to Catalina Island. How many of you know Pastor Mike Cosper, our junior high pastor? He tells groaner jokes all the time. And he tells them to the kids and adults alike. And he doesn't care if you laugh or not. He thinks it's funny. And so if he tells you, you, you just go. And most of the time I find when he tells me a joke, I just go, ah. Oh. And this happened on the boat ride over. I was sitting with Mike and we were going over to Catalina Island. And he looks at me very seriously and he says to me, he says, hey. Uh, he says, do you know why... Um, seagulls that fly over the sea are called seagulls and i was like what and he goes the reason that they call seagulls seagulls they call them why they call them seagulls and i go mike what are you talking about and he goes why do they call them seagulls and i go i don't know and he goes well because if they flew over the bay he goes they'd call them bagels <laughs> is it Wait, is that a groaner though? No, that's a joke. Okay. All right. I groaned. I was like, oh my gosh. People around me passed out. No, I don't. No. But, but it's stuff like this. Like, why can't a leopard hide? Why can't a leopard hide? You go, because he's always spotted. Um, yeah. Okay. You got, all right. Was that a groaner? Okay. I just want to make sure. Um, how do moths swim? They use the butterfly stroke. No, it's not, oh my gosh. It's groan. It's like you have to groan. It's, you got to go along with it. You have to groan. You can't, you can't use words. Groaning is when there's no words to go along with it. All right, let me, let me ask you. Oh, oh, here's a good one. What do you get from a pampered cow? Spoiled milk. Oh, so you're, you're playing our game. You're getting, you're, you're coming along. Okay. How about this one? What did the duck say when it bought chapstick? What did the duck say when it bought chapstick? Put it on my bill. <laughs> yeah. 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 Some of you are new and you're going, honey, how did we find this church? I mean, what was it that... <laughs> These, these are Cosper. We call these Cosper jokes, though, okay? Okay, so this was one. This was, this was one. Um, oh, where was it at? Oh, why are, snaggle, <laughs> why are snails bad at racing? Why are snails bad at racing? Because they're sluggish. <sighs> Man, you know what? I miss for a service. <laughs> Oh, here's one. Did you hear the book that I'm reading about anti-gravity? It's impossible to put down. 
Okay, there's one more. I wanted to, I wanted to find this this one that the, I read first service that was really funny, and I would just hate myself if I don't share it with you. Let me see. Oh, why are skeletons so calm? Why are skeletons so calm? Do you know this? Because nothing gets under their skin. Okay, well, that's enough. Thanks for coming today. We're going to close with Tori singing us some more songs. And uh, All right, so <laughs> those are groaners. See, one of, the reason I shared that with you is I said, what's all the groaning about? Because, you know, when you think of Romans chapter 8, like I said, this Romans chapter 8, by many commentators, many throughout church history, have looked at Romans chapter 8 as being really the pinnacle of all chapters in the Bible. I mean, and that's saying something because there's a lot of great chapters in the Bible. And, there, and, and like I said, it's easy for me to wrap my mind around that from the standpoint, as I've shared with you in weeks past, when I look at the chapter in its entirety in, in context, and I look in chapter in verse one, where it says in Romans chapter eight, it says, there is now therefore what? No condemnation, right? There's no downward judgment for those that are in Christ Jesus. And it's, that's a comforting to know. And then to, to skip all the way at the end of the chapter, kind of like, you know, bookends, and to think that as the chapter ends, and it says that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And you think about that. So there's no judgment of God towards those that are in Christ, and there's no separation, no condemnation, no separation. But I began to bring out to you, I said, but tucked away right in the middle of this glorious chapter is the word suffering. And, and you think about that, you know, as a believer and you go, my gosh, it's like, you know, wait a second. I like, you know, that there's no judgment and I like that there's no separation, but, you know, but to participate, you know, in God's suffering, you go as an heir of Christ, as a joint heir with him. And you go, I, I, I don't, I don't know about that. And, and what I shared with you, I go, there's, there's a reason for the beauty of that, that thought is when you think about when you, you fall in love with someone and, and you, you know, think about how many are, are married in here today? Raise your hand if you're a married, married person. Okay. So you probably stood at an altar like I did. And, and the minister said to you, he said, do you promise to love one another? He said, for better, for what? For worse, for richer or poor and in sickness and in health, right? And so you, you know that, again, marriage you know, isn't all about everything being good. Sometimes it's, it's the hardest things in life that we have to deal with, and it's suffering. And yet when your, your spouse is going through suffering, and, and there's something in that love that you go, honey, I'm here for you. I'm, I'm gonna, we're going through this together. And you go, why would you do that? And it, and it, and it speaks volumes to, to a married person that you go, your spouse who maybe is healthy, that's going, you know, no, whatever we go through, we go through together. It's exactly what the apostle Paul said. He said in the body of Christ, it's one of the great blessings that we have. He said that we're called to what? To rejoice with them that rejoice and to do what? To sorrow with them that sorrow. So it's like saying, if, if you hurt, then I hurt. And if you're, if you're celebrating, I'm celebrating. Well, it's a lot easier to celebrate with people than it is to hurt with people. And yet here Paul is saying, because of this relationship that you have being adopted into God's family as being an heir of Jesus Christ, that everything that's his is yours and it's mine. But the journey of this, you know, that takes us from here to there will include suffering along the way. 
And, and since we're all touched by suffering, and it doesn't mean that every, I mean, you'll, you'll go, oh, I know somebody who didn't suffer. And you go, and you know what? There are people to a certain degree. I mean, you can't live on this planet without having been touched at least by death, right? Because either you're, somebody died before you, or, you know, people are going to die after you. So all of our lives are going to be touched by suffering, by sorrow. Like I said, not everything is physical. You know, some of us, you know, we, I shared with you about, you know, Vanessa. I talked about Vesalius in first service as well. I mean, here he is, you know, having, you know, I lost count, you know, the over a dozen, you know, surgeries in the last few years and, and is in tremendous pain and yet goes on Good Friday, you know, thinking I'm going to be in pain whether I'm sitting at home or whether I go to the church. It's not going to change my pain at all. I want to go to church where at least I can, I can worship God and I can be around God's people and I can experience a comfort because why would someone want to do that? And you go, because it's exactly what the apostle Paul is going to be teaching us today is because though we do suffer and we do go through hard things, there's something in us that's telling us it's not going to always be this way. There's something that's pulling us because we have, he talks about the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have, and I love it in the NLT translation, which I, I use, and I've been sharing that with you, is he uses the word foretaste. And I'm, I'm going to be sharing that with you. But there's three groanings that, that he speaks of here in the book of Romans in chapter 8. He, he talks about the groaning of creation. And he talks about then the groaning of the individual person. Then he talks about actually the groaning of God himself, the groaning of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity. God himself groans. And, and like I said, a lot of times we'll think of that, you know, as, as we get older, you know, older people groan. It's, it's just funny, okay? Is, you know, your body hurts. I remember talking to my dad and he was in his 80s and I'd go, you know, dad, I go, you need to go out and, you know, ride a bike. I'll get you, a, you know, a three-wheel bike and you can ride it. He's, Mike, my body just hurts. And I go, dad, your body's going to hurt whether you're sitting at home or you're riding the bike around the block. And then he's like, so what's the point? <laughs> and I go, well, there's a good pain. Like if you go to the gym and work out and then there's a bad pain of just doing nothing. And it's not good to just sit around and do nothing. And I couldn't convince him of it. So he didn't. And he lived to be, you know, 81 years old. So that was a good, good life. But we can so disconnect with suffering as a, as a believer, thinking that when people suffer, it must be because there's sin in their life. It's not understanding that there is sin in this world, right? Because of the fall of Adam and Eve. And with, with sin came death and with death came disease and every other thing. So again, we're going to see as we look at this, creation groans, we groan as, as individuals, and God himself groans. It's a part of the human experience, but it doesn't need to be a negative thing. This is the difference, that the groaning is actually a positive thing in anticipation of what is still yet to be. Amen? So let's, let's read this together this morning, and then we'll pray. And it, it's, again, Romans chapter 8, pick it up in verse 17. And I'm reading from the NLT. And he says, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. And we've been studying that in weeks past. You can go back and listen to that. It says, in fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly 
for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all of creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation, and here's that word, been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. And note that it says childbirth and not death. In our minds, we associate groaning with death. Scripture for the believer, because there's no condemnation for them that are in Christ, and because we're heirs of God, it's a birth pang. A birth pang is painful, but the end result is what? It's glorious, getting to hold that baby in your arms. So, so as, as we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of the future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering, we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies that he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps in our weaknesses for example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, this can be so encouraging to us because we live in a world that is full of pain and sorrow and suffering and hurt. And, and we experience these things on different levels, uh, none of us to the same degree. And so, Lord, thank you that, God, you understand. Thank you that, Lord, in, in every way, shape, and form, you, you suffered. And so you identify with us in all these different areas so that we're never alone. And that's a promise that you made to us. So we can feel when we're hurting and when we're suffering and when we're going through difficulties, we, we can have that, that sense that you've abandoned us, that, that Lord, we all are by ourselves. But Lord, you're reminding us today that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And so Lord, help us as we, we study this word groaning and what it truly means for us who believe and may it bring comfort and strength to our hearts today that we can glorify you because that's our heart's desire and that all the things that we experience in this life, we bring you glory. And we ask these things today in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. You know, one of the, the fun things I, I have, a, a we have eight grandkids or well, seven ones in the oven will be out here this, this month. Um, but uh, our two-year-old Max, he, he was over this week and, and Max was, he dropped something. He was standing in front of me and he dropped it and he looks up at me and he's just learning to talk. You know, he can say, Opa, that's, that's, that's me. And uh, he doesn't know how to say Oma that well. And that really bothers my wife. And uh, he's, not, he's not even really good. At, he says Dada and Opa really good. So he's, he's, a, he's a man's man. And uh, so he's standing there in front of me and, and he drops something. And he looks up at me and he goes, and it was funny because I'm studying for this. And he looks at me and he goes, <sighs> like that, like, you know, half bear. And he bends down. And then when he goes down, that was even funnier. He's like, uh, 
And then he picks it up. And I start laughing and I go, did he just groan? And Lee goes, he's a groaner, honey. She goes, he groans over everything. I mean, you go to put a spoon food to his mouth. If he doesn't like it, he's like, uh. and I go, was well, that just because he doesn't, uh, he doesn't speak? And he goes, she goes, no, that's because he's male. <laughs> I go, okay, well, you know, but uh, it, it was just, it was so funny. So it just encouraged me because a lot of times, you know, you think, oh yeah, this is the old people groan. He go, no, no, Max is too. He, he's a groaner, okay? Groaning is just part of life. You look there in verse 17, you know, just as kind of a refresher, we looked at this a little bit before. He says, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. So we, we've been adopted into God's family. You could say that the paperwork's been signed, but we're still here, right? He hasn't picked us up yet. And so what does that do? Well, it should create a longing within us. You hear all the wonderful things. We'll finish you know, today reading from the book of Revelation. But we're heirs with Christ Jesus. But we're still here. He says, in fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. So you think about that. So we're, we're going to share in his glory. That's John chapter 17. You can write that down and read it for yourself. He says, but if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Okay, so don't, don't make this mistake. Many people think that suffering is a prerequisite for salvation. Okay, it's not. Not everybody suffers. And you go, hey, if I can get through this, you go, uh, I, I don't, we don't wish suffering on anybody in the truest sense, but I can tell you those that have suffered, I can tell you there's so many lessons, you know, that you can learn. I shared with first service, um, a girl that I went out with in high school. Um, her husband called me last night and told me that she passed away. And it was yesterday was her, would have been her 62nd birthday. And he said, you know, Hey, I wanted to you know, tell you, I know that you guys were friends and and uh, I had communicated with her um, because I, at our last uh, uh, school, you know, our reunion, she wasn't there. And one of our mutual friends, she said, oh, she's not there because she's got cancer. She had breast cancer herself and it metastasized and ended up in her bones. And ultimately, that's what she succumbed to. And uh, I was talking with her husband and he said, you know, she was, she was such a fighter. And he was talking about suffering. And so it was interesting because I'm, I'm dealing with this particular topic. And he said, you know, it was amazing. He goes, uh, she, and when I had spoken with her last, she had, um, had have rods placed in her, in her legs. And because she, she was so frail, she would just go to step and her, her bones would break. She said uh, last week, um, she went to use her walker to get out of bed. And uh, she heard a snap and she looked at the, the, her walker, she thought the leg on her walker broke. It was actually her arm. And he said, she was in just tremendous pain. She goes, but she looks at her husband and, and, and she goes, you know, she goes, I could feel sorry for myself. She goes, but I think about all the, the young moms with little babies that are going through cancer like I am. And their markers are way higher than, than mine. And they're much younger. And she goes, you know, I, I feel sorry for them. And you go, so what does that do when you hear something like that, that someone who's suffering, you go, it, it, it builds sympathy in our life and empathy. And we start thinking about, you know, even ourselves. And I go, just, I'll share things. I'll go, hey, you know, I have a bad back and, and uh, or I've had a stint put in and I'm standing up here and I, I share something in a service and someone comes up to me after the service and they're smiling. They go, hey, Mike, let me tell you my story. You know, I've had seven heart attacks and I've had seven stints put in and I've had, and I'm looking at it and I'm going, you know, wow. 
And I go, and you see the joy that's in their life and you go, and you wouldn't even know it unless it comes out in a conversation like that. Because as scripture tells us that, you know, we're all going to go through things, right? And we can come to church and I can go, you know, I can go, what about Mike? You know, and I, and I can share my story in hopes that you guys will feel sorry for me. And we do those things at times. But the real blessing is when the person does what? As scripture says, they anoint themselves with oil. And they, and, and they take off the, 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 the sorrowful face and they put on a face, not a fake face, but a fake a face of joy looking forward, knowing that whatever we go through in this life is temporal at best, right? And if you're a note taker, I want to encourage you to write this down. Not just encourage yourself, and you will need it at some point, but it's a tremendous encouragement. Or if you're someone who's got photographic memory, it'll be great. But remember this. Don't, don't forget this. Pain is temporary. Glory is forever. Pain is temporary. Because we have to remind ourselves of that because we go through painful things. And not everything is physical. Not everything is cancer. Like I said, some of it's deeply emotional. Some people suffer tremendously from emotional pain, depression. Uh, You think of all the things that have come out of COVID and just the number of, I mean, just our kids our youth today that are suffering from tremendous depression, uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome, you know, our, our, all of our, our first responders, you know, people that have had to deal with all kinds of things. So there's emotional, um, like I said, there's physical, there's spiritual. You're just in deep spiritual battles all the time. And, and again, on and this side of heaven, that, that's, that's an extreme possibility. You have a target on your back. And, and, and yet we experience those things to varying degrees. And oftentimes what we do and shame on us for this, what we end up doing is blaming the person. You know, it's like what I shared with you a couple of weeks ago with regard to suffering. Remember the, the disciples, they walked with Jesus and they saw the man who was blind from birth. Okay. And then they look at Jesus and they go, well, is he blind because of his sin? It was an either or, right? Or the sin of his parents. And Jesus goes, it's neither. It's not either or. It was that God could be glorified because God can be glorified. Matter of fact, the way that you and I will glorify him the most is in the midst of suffering. It's exactly when you look at the cross. I mean, you look at the cross and the beauty of the cross is that it was Jesus dying for me there, right? He was suffering for me and for you. And yet from the cross, what was he saying? Even though they were spitting at him, they were cussing at him, they were reviling him. He said, you know, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And you go, wow. It it works so much that even it says a Roman soldier, a hardened Roman soldier at the foot of the cross would look up at Jesus and go, surely this is the son of God because the way he suffered. And yet, man, I'll tell you what, I hate pain. (laughs) I just, I, I live with it, but I can tell you, honestly, I don't like it, but I can tell you, has it shaped my life? And I go, absolutely. And you go, but, but I see the struggle with it. And so here, you know, he's, Paul is telling us, he says, but if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. And like I said, and it's not equal to each person, but we have the ability to participate with other people. The, the, the people in your life that will mean the most to you are the people who stand by you in the most difficult times of life. That's how you prove. Jesus said, no greater love than this, than a man or a woman in that regard, lay down his life for his friend. He was speaking ultimately of the cross, but we get that on a human level. When we make sacrifices for other people, it's the beauty of marriage, right? That you say, hey, before anything bad ever happens, you go, no matter what, thick or thin, better for worse, richer or poor, sickness or health, I will be with you to the end. 
And what an end, as tragic as it is. I was talking to Ken, uh, my uh, friend's husband last night, and he said, I don't know how I'm going to go on. He goes, she was my rock. She was my life. And he goes, I know I will. He goes, but, but there's a part of me that's like, does it even want to? And I get that. That, that's what love does. Love wants to enter into that suffering or into that relationship, whatever it is, that's what love does because it's, it's sharing that life together there. And what's interesting in that, the word if actually is equivalent to the word since. If you read this, you know, read it this way, it says, but since we are to share his glory, we must also share in his suffering. It's not an if really for the believer, it, it's since. Since we're we're believers, since we're Christians, we are going to suffer along the way here. And verse 18 goes on, it says, and yet we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal later to us. I love what the apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians four seventeen. He says, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So when you look at the scale Remember, I was sharing that with you. When you take the scale of this life and sufferings and trials, tribulations, you put it, it seems like this to us, right? It goes, boom. And, and, and yet Paul says, no, no, no. Put a drop, a drop, an eyedropper of glory on this side. And it goes like this, boom. And, and it drops down because it can't compare. A lifetime of suffering can't compare to the glory that's going to be revealed one day. And you go, what does that do? In the midst of our suffering, it helps pull us forward because it's not about death pangs. It's about birth pangs. See, we, we often say, these are the good old days, right? Have you ever heard that expression? These are the good old days. You know, that's a lie. It is. People, these are the good old days. And you go, you'll look back someday and you go, no, that's terrible. Don't look back. Look ahead. It doesn't compare. Paul said it doesn't compare to the glory that's going to be revealed one day. Yes, life is hard. Understand this. Pain is what? It's temporary. Pain is temporary. Glory is what? It lasts forever. It's eternal. Yeah. And you go, and we, we need to lock in on that. That's what gets us through. Verse 19 goes on. It says, for all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. See, right now, does the world really know who the Christians are in the world? No, they have no idea. It says all of creation in one translation says it's standing on tiptoes. It's waiting for the revelation of the sons of God, who the real sons of God are one day, because what the revelation is, is what? It's the second coming of Jesus. And all true believers will be what? They'll be with Jesus in that moment and on that day. So that's what he's, that's what he's speaking to there. And, and he says, you know, so creation is waiting and they're waiting eagerly. In verse 20, it says against its will against its will. It says all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope. What does it mean by being subjected against its will? Well, think about this. Well, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, there were four curses that were made, right? The curse against Satan, the curse against Eve, the curse against Adam, and the curse against what? Creation, creation itself. Yeah. So creation is suffering. And so it says, creation's going, what did we do? You know, <laughs> it's like, we were just here. But it says, but it was subjected by God. Because he said, you know, because what you've done, he said, even the ground, right, to Adam. He said, we'll do what? It'll produce both thorns and thistles. So even the ground was cursed because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve. 
So even creation's going, come back, Jesus, you know? And you think, well, we have earthquakes, we've got, you know, tsunamis, we've got, you know, you list all the things, tornadoes, you know, all the things that are happening, you know, that in the world today. And you go, not only are they happening, but the frequency, right? Which they're happening, they're, they're, they're getting stronger, actually, and they're becoming, you know, more intense and then more often. And you go, well, think about it in terms of not a death pang to destroy us, but a birth pang in order to redeem us. They're happening more frequent because what? We're getting closer to the end. We're getting close, you could say, to the birth when Jesus Christ returns to this earth. I like, you know, in verse 20, yeah, it's, it's, it's connecting the following verse in this. It says, in hope that the creation itself will also be set free. That's in verse 21. It says, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. So even creation in the sense is looking back to before the fall, the Garden of Eden and go, man, we want to be restored back to the way things were, you know, and that's really the ultimate end you know, is that restoration. And we serve a God of what? Of restoration, of redemption. That's what he's doing. That's what he's working in the world today. Verse 22 goes on. It says, for we know that all creation has been groaning. So there that is. All creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. There's the key. Not death pangs, but birth pangs. Okay. We get this wrong. We think, oh, it's, you know, and people go, well, what's going to happen? Heaven and earth are going to what? Pass away. They're going to pass away in a fervent heat, the Bible says. Is that the end of it, though? No. God's remaking it. And we'll read this later on. He says, For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So there's this groaning, like I said, of pain. I mean, we live in a world, like I said, of, of suffering and sighing, sobbing. And, and all creation is groaning right along with us here. And yet, we have this hope. That's not the end. All these things, it's a passageway, just like the pain of childbirth that you, you women that have given birth, and you understand that, you know, if you didn't have a complete spinal block, you know, my wife gave birth to three children naturally. And people go, why? Go, That's, we're asking ourselves that same question, you know. <laughs> it was just part of, you know, in that part of our life, you know, she's like, you know, I want to, experience, you know, the fullness of, of my pregnancy. And this is what, you know, God intended. And I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, and then people, I always love this, you know, women would go, see, that's how I know the Bible's not true. I go, what? They go, there was no pain in my childbirth. And I go, that's so foolish. I go, do you think that's what God was saying? That there's just cha pain in childbirth itself? They go, no, I go, wait for the next 18 years of your life. I go, if you didn't know pain at childbirth, trust me, you will know it down the road, right? And, uh, you know, as soon as you go to sleep at night and, you know, and little junior baby, you know, does it care if you're tired and you haven't eaten, you haven't slept? I mean, is your baby just going to go, mommy, you just sleep and I'll just stay right here in my little crib all night long. And then when you want it, you come get me. You go, doesn't work that way. No, that baby's going to remind you who's boss, right? Right away. And it's boss baby, right, right there in front of you. Now it goes on, it says in verse 23, and we believers also groan. So we don't just have creation groaning going, you know, they, creation wanting to be restored back to what it was before the fall in its complete perfection. But here we are, 
now as individuals. It says, we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of the future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children. So we've been adopted by God, like I said, on paper, but he hasn't come for us yet. So that's where the groaning comes. We're going, oh, I mean, you can imagine like, you know, just say you won the lottery, you know, and you won the big lottery and, and it was $600 million after taxes. They gave you 300 million, but you don't have it yet. You'd be groaning every day. They go, oh, we're just a few months out. And you're, oh, 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 well, that's kind of what you have with God. I mean, you've won, you've won it all with him. You have everything, but it's not here yet. And you go, and as you read the Bible and you start understanding all these things, you go, what does it naturally do within your heart and my heart? It creates a groaning. We want it. We long for it. We desire it. We anticipate it. And we believe it and we receive it because we trust God that everything that he says, he does. He's faithful to his word. And so as we study his word, you go, then this is what happens within us. It says, for the day will come when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including, including the new bodies he's promised us. You get a new body. Like I said, I don't know if it comes, and I think I said uh, Sears catalog or JCPenney, but you know, remember those catalogs? Just think they have one that's all new bodies and you just get to pick in heaven. You get to pick, maybe you can change it. I don't know. You know, you just want to feel how everything is, you know, in heaven, but it'll be perfect in every way, shape and form. And so we're groaning with hope. You think about things today. What, what makes you groan in your, in your own life? I mean, is it you, you, you hear the news, like I shared, you know, and I heard somebody groan. I shared the news about, you know, my friend who died of cancer and you go, and immediately oh, you, you groan because you hurt when other people hurt. You hear the news that other people hurt, right? You, if you're like me, you, you try to get out of bed, you groan, you get up from a chair, you know, and I groan. It's like, I get, I, I mean, literally I put my hands up, okay. And you know, I never realized that, you know, me and God are talking in that moment, you know, that's, the Holy Spirit's interceding. I probably wouldn't be able to get up if the Holy Spirit wasn't interceding. How many are Dodger fans here? Let me digress for just a second. You groaned last night, didn't you? Bases were loaded. You're, you're tied in the game. And there's like one out. And then all of a sudden, everybody gets out. And what do you do at the end of that, that, that third strike? You go, oh, oh. And that happens a lot. That's probably why I don't like baseball that much. I don't, I don't like groaning for that, that reason. Golf, on the other hand, have any people that like golf in here? Yeah, you watch golf and you go, and the guy's up there and he's got an eagle putt for the, for the win, right? And he's up there and he misses it in, in, I mean, totally synchronized. What does the gallery do? You see him, they go, oh, and then they play it in slow motion, right? He misses it again. They do it like a hundred times. And every time the gallery is groaning, right? They go, oh, they're, they're sad. They're disappointed for him. It's, it's a part of our existence as people. You have a hope. You have a hope that you want things to be a certain way. And yet scripture tells us here in the NLT translation, anyway, it's a foretaste. I love that. A foretaste. What does that mean? A foretaste it means a preview of a coming attraction. God has given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us a preview of a the coming attraction. 
You think about that. The closest thing that I can get to help explain this is Costco. Okay. I know it's terrible, but how many have been to Costco and they had samplings at Costco and you tried it and you liked it. And because you liked it, you did what? You bought it, right? That, that's what it is. God's given us, you know, again, the Holy Spirit, it's a, it's a sampling. He's given us a, a foretaste of, of the life that is to come. It's like going to Costco and on a toothpick, they give you a little tiny piece. Now, if you're like me, you just go around the, the thing and come back again and come back. And when you've done it like 37 times, the lady goes, sir, one or two things, either buy the whole package or get out of my aisle. You know, it's like, but you get it, you know, it's like, you go, oh, but I love, I love the taste. And, the, and that, that foretaste, that sampling is what helps do what? Propel you forward. That's what they're wanting to do. That foretaste, that sampling is propelling you forward to buy their product. Well, when God gives us a foretaste, it's just to help us, to encourage us to go, hey, don't give up. I mean, because I've shared this with you many times, you know, it's been well said. And I, and I believe it with all my heart. A person can go basically six weeks without food. They can go six days without water. They can go six minutes without oxygen, but they can't go six seconds without hope. Hope is so important. And God has, has blessed us with that. He's given us his spirit as a foretaste to give us that hope. So when you're going through painful things and you are, whether it's a physical ailment that you're going to suffer through, an emotional one, a relational one, a spiritual one, whatever it might be, is that you have something to pull you forward. That whatever you're suffering through, he says it cannot compare to the glory that shall be revealed one day. And guess what? I forget that. And you forget that. And that's why we, we come. It's why we do what? We, the Bible says that we love one another. We love does what? It stirs one another up to love and to good works, to keep those things in mind. Because we'll lose sight of it. We live in a world that is going this way and we're going this way. We're like two ships in a sense passing you know, at sea. And so as you, you look at that, and like I said, if it, it speaks to you, then you get it. It's where it says then in verse 23, we ourselves groan eagerly, it says waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. And we talk about that all the time. You go, hey, you know, by Sally's side, we go, hey, we're going to get a new body. You know, I didn't even play soccer, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to score goals on him all the time in heaven because I'm, I'm going to have a perfect soccer body in heaven. And, you know, so he thinks he'll be a perfect goalie in heaven. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, some, you know, I mean, somebody's got to score something. But I, I love this, you know, because, you know, Paul, remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he, he described death this way. He says, if our earthly bodies, these tents, right, our earthly tent are destroyed, we have a building made from God, right, without human hands. And that, that's what we remind ourselves. One day, one day, you go, hey, I didn't think about that when I was 20 years old, but I think about it every day at 62, you know, and, and it's one of those things you go, okay, so what do we do? We just remind people, hey, I can tell you if you're 20 years old and, and you're playing, you know, uh, at a high level of in athletics is try not to run into people so much, you right? Me and Vaisalas, we talk around, he, he's a professional soccer player. You go, you know, I probably wouldn't have run into them as many times, you know, had I known that my body was going to do this, you know, and turn on me later on in life. And you go, but it was fun then, right? And, and one of the joys of, of, again, what does scripture tell us? Bodily exercise, profit, what? Little. Godliness profits a lot though, right? Applying ourselves. You go, so if I could go back, you go, I don't think I'd spend, or hopefully wouldn't spend as much time playing football and I'd spend a lot more time seeking God, right? 
And you go, oh, that's that expression of what? If I only knew what, then what I know now. Thank God for the word of God. And, and again, so even when we failed, there's forgiveness. You can move up and you can move forward. You can move on in that. And again, and what I love in this, when I think about that I groan and you groan, you know that Jesus groans, right? We, we saw it all throughout scripture. John chapter 11, the tomb of Lazarus. It says, he groaned within himself. Why? Because he saw what death did to people. He, he identified with their hurt, with their pain. Mark chapter 7, when he healed the, the deaf and the dumb man. It says he groaned within himself. When he fed the 4,000, you go, why would he groan? Because they were only coming for food. They were missing it. He, he groaned it. He hurt for them. It's like they missed it. When you miss it and I miss it, he groans for us. He groaned there in the Garden of Gethsemane to the point of almost dying. On the cross, he groaned. Everywhere that Jesus went involved some aspect of groaning. Because he wasn't doing it for himself. It was for me. It was for you. It was for us. Verse 24, it says, We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, then we don't need to hope for it. And you get that. You, you understand it. It says, But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently. So I know you don't need to hear that because all of us are so patient, aren't we? But that's what it develops in us is patience, is learning how to wait. People, why, why, why does that person have to suffer so much? I don't know. All I know is what God's word says. Is he, somehow he's working patience in us. Not necessarily the person who's suffering, but the people who are watching. Because it impacts all of us. And sometimes it's, it's for the good because it makes us a lot more compassionate people. When we see people that, that are hurting, people that are suffering, people that are going through difficulties. And it also develops what? Confidence. Because God's faithful to his promise. Like I said, I wouldn't know what to say to people, you know, without the hope of Jesus. But I have no problem sitting with somebody who's getting ready to meet the Lord that knows the Lord and going, you're going to be home soon. To be absent from the body is to be present with God. You know, to know there's no pain. There's not going to be any more sorrow. There's no, not, there's no tears in heaven. And, and, and to have them understand that and then to see, for, even for myself, to see the peace of God which surpasses knowledge to fill their heart and their mind. Is like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I've lost friends that, you know, died and, and, you know, two in particular, you know, in this church. And both guys said the exact same thing. You know, one died of, of you know, cancer. The other died it was in a, involved in an automobile accident survived the accident and then succumbed just a, you know a few minutes later but as he was on his way out you know his best friend was holding him in his arms and he was saying his name was Mike and he says Mike stay with me stay with stay with me Mike looks at, at him and he goes it's not in my hands I'm in God's hands tell him it's beautiful tell him it's beautiful and he goes stay with me and he and he smiled and he looked at him and he goes it's not in my hands. It's in God's hands. Tell him it's beautiful. He closed his eyes. Went to be with Jesus. And you go, you can't, you can't make that happen in somebody who doesn't know it to be true. And that's where Romans chapter 8 comes in. Is that when, when God takes away that fear in your life, 
because you know that you're a child of God, because you place your hope and your trust in him. There's no fear of, of judgment any longer. There's no fear of condemnation that you see yourself as an heir with Jesus Christ. And it brings strength and it brings comfort because it points you forward. It encourages you to keep looking ahead. And that's what he says. We wait patiently and confidently and says, and the Holy Spirit helps in our weakness. Don't you love that? Verse 26 says, for an example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. I love that. See, we're often perplexed. I, I know I am in, in how to pray. And sometimes and this could make a reference to praying in tongues. That when you pray in tongues, you're praying, but you don't pray with understanding unless there's someone who can interpret that for you. And that's why a lot of times people go, I don't want to pray in tongues. You go, but there's something about praying in the spirit that you recognize that when I don't know what to pray and the spirit's helping me, that the, the spirit's interceding for me. But then there's another aspect of this. And, and when the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, says with groanings that are too deep for understanding that it's no word at all. It's not that we could hear anything. It's an unction that comes from within us. You know, the Holy Spirit, just know this. We, we have this, this, this comfort today. If I said, where's Jesus today? You know, I can walk over to the children's wing and the kids can say, well, Jesus is in heaven. And what is he doing in heaven? And they go, he's preparing a place for us. And I go, what else is he doing? He's praying for us. He's seated at the right hand of the Father and he's praying for us. Most kids know that. And you go, and what else? You go, so I have Jesus praying for me. I have the Holy Spirit praying for me. You go, man, that's pretty comforting to know. And you go, what does that do for me? You go, I, I don't even have to worry about what I pray. Oftentimes I'm praying the wrong things. I'm praying selfish prayers. I'm praying limited, limited perspective, limited knowledge. But when Jesus is praying and the Holy Spirit's praying, they're praying with what? An eternal perspective. So when things are happening and it's not going the way that I think or know, then I rest in the fact that Father knows best, amen? That God has a plan that's better than mine. His ways are high above my ways, sometimes beyond even finding out. And guess what? I can rest in that. I can trust in that. You know, and, and again, when you do that, it's like Spurgeon said, you know, the promises of God are like a pillow. He says, for me to lay my head. And you just rest in the promises of God. And that's what we do. And so we know that the Holy Spirit comes along to assist us in our, in our weaknesses. And he intercedes, like I said, with groanings that we can't even comprehend. And, and I love that because, again, there's so much, you know, so much comfort that comes with that because we try to figure everything else, you know, out, right? I mean, I just want to, we want to know everything. And God's going, you don't have to know anything. What you need to do is trust, trust, trust that God, that he knows best and really does. And, and I love that, you know, like I said, in, in verse 26, you know, is understanding that the Holy Spirit groans, even the Holy Spirit, you know, is groaning. So whenever you're discouraged, you know, it's, it's, the Holy Spirit within us is just reminding us, look to the cross. Look to what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you. He's there. You know, again, he's, Jesus is the right hand of the Father. You know, he's praying. The Holy Spirit is within us. He's praying. I mean, you, you've got this covered. You're, you're safe. You're safe with God. I love what Psalm 139.4 says. It puts it like this. It says, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. That comforts me. I don't always know what to pray or how to pray, 
But God knows. He knows your heart. And he knows the mind of the Spirit. And so we rest in that. And he concludes with this. He says, and then verse 27, And the Father knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. So what's with all the groaning? You know, it's really simply because we're not home yet. We're not home yet. We groan with anticipation, with hope. Not, not in complaining. It's not a complaint. It's, oh, when you, when you groan when the Dodgers didn't get the hit, it wasn't, you're not complaining. Your, your heart, your heart you, you, in the sense you hurt for them. You go, oh, I wanted them to score. I wanted them to win. Or the golfer, oh, you know, or when someone, you know, tells you, you know, very sorrowful news and you go, oh, oh. There's an identification with that. And God's going, every time you groan, Understand that that is, should be pulling you forward, not backwards, because the best really is yet to be. And for me, it's, it's knowing this, and I close with this, Revelation 22, 1 through 7. Think about this. This is God's word. Groaning should bring us to, to this place that we see this clearly in our mind's eye by the Spirit of God. It says, then the angel showed me, John writes, Revelation 22, 1, a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of Main Street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and the Lamb of God will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. It says, Then the angel said to me, Everything that you've heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God, who inspires his prophets, has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. You know, yeah, I love that, don't you? Groan ahead. That's what I'm going to tell. What's all the groaning for? Just keep groaning. Groaning, just let it pull you forward. Don't let it pull you away from God, but let it pull you to God. And then that God is accomplishing his perfect will in you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this chapter. Lord, it is so encouraging in a world that is filled with, with a lot of hurt and heartache, um, a lot of things that, Lord, seek to pull us down. But Lord, thank you as you remind us today, yes, we're going to groan. Yes, we're going to go through difficulties and hard times. But Lord, all those things, as we're going to see next week, are working together for our good. And so, Lord, we rest in that. We thank you for your love. Lord, I, I pray that for every person here, that, Lord, we're able to say that Jesus is my Savior, that Jesus is my Lord, because it's only for those that are in Christ Jesus that there is no condemnation. It's only for those that are in Christ Jesus that they never have to fear separation. And so, Lord, thank you that heaven is a gift. As we started this series, we can't make ourselves right. As your word says, and Paul admonishes us over and over in the book of Romans here, that the just shall live by faith placing our faith in you. And that's what we do, Lord. We place our faith in you today. We love you. We bless you. We praise you as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You can give the Lord a clap offering. He is good. I invite you to stand to your feet. We'll send you out with song.
and it's a beautiful day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Amen. Rejoice and be glad in it.
goodness. And Lord, we pray that every day we would open our eyes to 